are really privileged to have Alan with us. Um, what I didn't say, probably give him a bit of background, is he has planted a church in the last year. It's a, it's a vibrant church in Portadown, and he's an exceptional leader, so there's no coincidence there that it's thriving. And he's also part of where he's helped us a lot in Vineyard Church, Dungannon too. It's just an area of prayer, and Alan's part of the 24-7 Prayer Ireland team. And um, again, he's just been a great resource and encourager, helping us to to prioritize prayer and presence again in this place and this community. And uh, we've seen the benefit of just prioritizing prayer this last, well, this last year, really, where we've had the 24-7 presence here, where we've had the prayer room and we've done some longer periods of Easter time. And Alan is, you're probably not aware, Alan has helped shape a lot of that for us and encourages us in that. So he's, he's a phenomenal guy and a great dad, like I said, and a good husband. So would you welcome him? And we'll hand over to him. Thank you very much, Jason, for those lovely, kind words. It's very nice of you. It's great to be here with your revolving table. I'm telling you, this is... I'm going to get one of these before I now. <laughs> it's great to be here. It's great to worship with you. Um, it's been well since I've been down here and... Uh, in a vineyard here in Dungannon, and uh, it's it's always great to come back. It's um, it's great to do stuff. It's always fun when you can do stuff with friends, and um, alongside friends and partner together. So, um, just uh, appreciate Jason and Michelle's friendship in my life, and uh, many of you who have got to know over the years. And uh, I want to share some thoughts with you tonight. Um, yeah, it's maybe a little bit of a short, short kind of five-minute kind of teach thing, but I think my thoughts as I've prayed about tonight are flowing, just offering some words of encouragement um, and, and maybe maybe directional that you can weigh and test that, um, uh, just as I've been thinking about tonight and, and praying for tonight. Um, I think my over, overlying, underlying, overriding, <laughs> whatever the words are, <laughs> The big thing that I think is going on here is I really do feel like you know just to encourage you that you know that as a body, um, I, I don't mean this to come across in a patronizing way, but just in a really serious way, I just feel like the Lord m- maturing you, you into a, a new place. Um, I, I was uh, asking Jason. Um, I remember the ten-year birthday party, and um, I was thinking. Myself, that was only like yeah, last year or something, wasn't it? And then I thought, no, no, it wasn't because Dave Workman was here, and it, that was a, more ago. And then Jason was telling me the church is around 14, and um, so it was about four years ago, or whenever. And I was thinking, well, you know, um, I'm not saying when like you're 14, like you've got everything sorted, obviously, right? But you have got through like 11, 12, 13, and um, you start to kind of get to know a little bit more who you are, what what you're carrying, who you're going to be. There's a strength of identity, I think, starts to form. And um, and I, I just felt like tonight, as it was just before I really came out of the house and I was praying a little bit more and some other thoughts, I just felt to encourage you that I think you are slightly, potentially, <laughs> transitioning um, from a place of adolescence into a place of greater greater maturity and strength and um and i feel that in that and through that the lord really wants to increase the sense of his presence amongst you in the days ahead 
feel like there's a Jesus, Jesus-ishness. Is that a word? No. There's, there's, there's an increase in Jesusness about who you're becoming. I think the encouragement or the exhortation, if you, to, to use an old, an old King James word or whatever, is, 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 is the words greater Christ-likeness. And I think that's happening. I think that's, um, without really having talked too much to Jason and Michelle about it, I think that's what's happening. I think that's where the lean is toward. Um, I know the Lord's been speaking to me about that personally, but also as a family here and as a maturity of who this family is and becoming within this area, within Dungannon, uh, I feel like um, there's, a, there's just there's a strengthening, a, a a backbone and resilience that has been there all along, but just becomes more and more sure of who it is and what it is. And maybe that will kind of unpack a little bit more as I as I go through this. But just to say that at the start, I want I want to read. If you have a Bible, um, or you need to get one, or you want to use your phone or whatever, um, Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm going to read most of the chapter. <clears throat> And uh, I love this, love this passage of scripture, one of my favorites, and uh, I felt it on my heart for you guys for tonight. Second Corinthians 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters and stone, <clears throat> came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate, some of your versions will say, behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Lord, who is the Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for the gift of your words to us. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would 
that. Lord, even as we've read these passages, Lord, any veil that sits over our faces, our hearts, our spiritual eyes, Lord, I just ask that even in these moments together, Jesus, that you would just remove that, melt it away, let us see you tonight, Jesus, again. Holy Spirit, take us to another place and degree of your glory. We ask for your revelation, your revelation in our hearts and our spirits tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is such a brilliant piece of scripture. I, 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 uh, one of my favorites in the Bible. <clears throat> and Paul is trying to draw the Corinthians into an understanding of the glory of Jesus. What really is ours in and through Jesus. What we can know in Jesus. And how privileged that we are to live in the epoch or the era of time that we live in. That we're part, if we're in Jesus, we're in and from and under a better covenant. And the, the thing that, <clears throat> this is a thing that has taken place through Jesus. And obviously many people at that time, uh, and still I suppose, but particularly at that part of uh, history and the early church's trajectory um, through the culture that surrounded them was Judaism was a big part of the background. And they were not convinced about Paul's claim that Jesus was the one true God, that he was the one that had fulfilled all the scriptures, that he was the one that they had been waiting for, that he was equivalent to Yahweh. He was the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods, all that the Psalms and Isaiah and all had prophesied about. Paul was now reframing all of his history around the person of Jesus, right? And this was massive, culturally all kind of stuff that was spinning off the back of these kind of claims. And Paul was reminding the Corinthians, who were Gentiles, not Jews, that they were partakers in this new covenant. And that the testimony of their lives, the, what the gospel had done in them, not because they were Jews, but because it was a work of the Spirit that had taken hold of them, that they were being drawn into a new covenant. And their very lives, their changed and transformed lives, by the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God that crashed into their lives, that Jesus came proclaiming that their very lives now were a letter, were a walking epistle. Yeah, it was not something, it wasn't even just a story, it was in the paper, this was a, a life changed and transformed by the gospel, a real, a real life letter transformed through the spirit, an internalized change that happened in and through the work of the spirit of God. And Paul's claim was pretty audacious because someone who was competent in the law, who was a God-fear, who was zealous, the Bible tells us, for the law, was now saying that this claim, the letter can kill, but the Spirit can give life. It was pretty radical stuff. Something that was happening in and through Jesus that was better. This is the kind of backdrop to this passage, something deeper is happening. Something's happening that's not just trying to control our sinful acts. Something's happening that's not just about behavior modification. Something's happening that's not just about me trying the best that I can with all my willpower to be a better person. No, no. Something's happening beyond controlling some sinful acts. Something deeper that's actually changing the very source of who we are. Right? The word born again gets bad press these days, but we should never lose that word because that's exactly what happened, right? We are born again. We're new creatures. Whereas a new thing has happened. A new, a new thing has started. To, I spoke to a girl this morning. She hasn't actually been coming to our church, but I've known her for a while. And last 
night, she texted one of her friends. He came to church this morning. I've known her for years. And um, um, she gave her life to Jesus this morning. She gave her life to Jesus yesterday. She walked on that bus, some street evangelist, and gave her life to Jesus. And it was just amazing. She was like, what, what, what do I do now? You know, and you're, you're, you're trying to tell her all those things to do, like go to discipleship class and stay in church. And all of it was good. But ultimately, saying the thing, she's like, I, I don't know how I feel or how I'm supposed to feel. And I was like, you know, well, you're probably going to feel different, right? And you're probably going to feel a little bit disorientated because now you are a new creature. And I'm like, I wasn't trying to freak her out with too much language like that too soon, but I was trying to remind her something has happened spiritually in the very essence and depth of who you are. Something has changed inside you that is leading you not just to become a better person, but is creating within you a new person. And this is the freedom of life in Jesus and the life of the Spirit. Something that's happening that's leading us out of slavery and into sonship. And to labor the point, then Paul goes on to remind these Corinthian believers that this new thing that's happening in and by the Spirit, he has been called the steward. He's a minister of this thing that God is doing in and by the Spirit. And so are we, I think. That's our call. We are to minister and be ministers and stewards of this new and better thing that's happening in and through the person of Jesus, by the Spirit, in our lives. And uh, the good news is it's better than the old way. It's, it's much better because... The good news is that this is the ministry of increasing glory. Increasing glory. Now, I don't want to come to the vineyard. I'm sort of preaching to the choir when I talk about a theology of more, right? When we talk about more and, and more, Lord, and I'm from, from the kind of charismatic background of church as well. So this is all very familiar, but sometimes we think it's, we just see it happen in a ministry time and we think, you know, it's the thing you say, just come on, Lord, more. But the theological basis for that is, is a strong one, right? Because throughout the Bible, we could say from the beginning of time, the unfolding heart of God and story of God is being unfolded. And in the Old Testament, it talks about line upon line and precept upon precept. And here in the New Testament, we have glory to glory. So, so we should be leaning into more. So we should have a theology of more. So, so we should be hungry for more. We should be expectant for more. Now, we know that that takes us dying in order to receive more, that, you know, our wills need to be engaged in that, but ultimately we need a revelation of the truth that we are part of a new covenant in and under the person and work of Jesus that leads us to ever-increasing glory. And so I think Lord, Lord has that for you tonight and this season. Another degree of glory. Another, another taste of his glory and more and more Life. Paul contrasts the old covenant Moses, who would have gone up to uh, up the mountain, and he would have received the commandments or whatever, and he came down, his face was shining. There's this like, and that's going on in the back of my head. There's this dad joke about, you know, did you know that like, like my dad used to say, you know what? Yeah, there's mo there's motorbikes in the Bible. Moses came down the mountain in his triumph. <laughs> There's always like a wee brethren one they used to throw out anyway. But anyway, 
Sorry, he just he never leaves you these wee things, you don't. Um, but Moses went up the mountain and he came down in his triumph, the King James says, right? And, but it basically tells us that his face was shining, right? His face was shining. He'd been with God. He'd been up in the glory cloud. God came down on fire on a mountain, Mount Sinai, and shook the whole thing up. And the animals couldn't even go too close or nobody could go past a certain boundary line because if they did, they would die. And so Moses goes up and he comes back down and his face is shining, but they have to veil his face. And the, verse that we, the verses that we read and played, that's because the Israelites couldn't see that this was a covenant that was actually going to fade. And so his face is veiled so that the Israelites can't watch this particular covenant fade away. And it was a good thing. And so Paul said to these Corinthians, can you imagine that if this one was glorious and good, but ultimately going to fade away, how much more glorious would it be to be part of this new covenant that's not fading away, but moving towards increasing glory. And, and, and so sometimes we kind of like, particularly in our Northern Ireland poverty mentality, we, 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 we need that kicked around a bit. We need our worldviews shattered. We need our paradigms checked and challenged and our minds renewed because we have to step into the flow of unfolding glory, not developing a theology of lack because it's supposed to be the actual opposite way around. Now, that's nothing kind of, that's not me saying when I say about more, just, just like some self-indulgent kind of way. I'm talking about walking this out in, in, in Christ-likeness, which we'll get to in a moment. And so Paul is saying this new covenant through the blood of God's own Son has brought about the outpouring of the Spirit upon all of humanity in a new way so that we live in and under a covenant that does not fade but increases in glory from one degree to another. And that just as Moses beheld the glory of God in the glory cloud or whatever that was, and it was intense, at those passages, Exodus 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, wow, you could just like meditate on them for a year and it would change your life. Like Moses is just encountering God, like it says that he had, pretty, had a meal with God, whatever that looked like, and it was like, like it just all sorts of things happening up there and Moses drawn right into the heart of God. Can you think about how powerful and marvelous it was? But this covenant, right, this covenant is even better because it says in the next chapter, actually, if you're still looking at uh, 2 Corinthians 3, if you shoot over to just click the pages to chapter 4, it tells you in verse Six, six. For God said, chapter four, verse six. For God, who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge, the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Where, in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Isn't you know just it's good to be reminded, isn't it? So Moses is like Moses gets to go up on a mountain. And he gets to like hang out with God and all this stuff's happening. But here, guys, we're part of the new covenant and we get to see it in the face of Jesus Christ. We get to look right into his eyes. We get to behold his glory. 
We get to sit before him. We get to receive from him. We get to see in the person of Jesus. God has allowed us to see the glory, his glory, in a face. In an actual face. It's so personal. It's so relatable. It's the face of Jesus. And I know that maybe <laughs> as adults, unless it's maybe like your spouse or something, we don't really like look into each other's like faces in a kind of awe kind of way because it might feel a bit weird if we were just like, you know, standing, staring. <laughs> but like if you can think about it, you do that with your, you do, do it with your kids, don't you sometimes? You just, you just look up into each other's faces. And maybe boy Finley, he's 10 months and, you know, not quite sure what's going on because he can't speak and a lot of the time if I'm being really honest he's like pulling my hair out and sticking his finger up my nose and all of those kind of things that can happen very very naturally but you know you get those moments where you just and whatever something's happening like neurons are kind of fizzing back and forth in his little brain and my my face and his face and something's going on as we behold and um and I just love the fact that you know, God's so personal in that way, isn't he? That, that we get to stare into the face of Jesus. And he is a source of all beauty. He is a source of all goodness. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there in the end. And we get to look into his face. And we are a privileged people. We live in this time where we are under this new covenant. And if we're in Jesus, we get to look in his face. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. His pure, holy, unadulterated love stirs us in the face and we get to receive from him. Him who is inapproachable in light, the Bible says, allows us to approach him. <laughs> get your head around that. He's immortal, says in Timothy, and inapproachable in light. And yet he lets us approach him. He lets us gaze upon him. And his love burns into our eyes and right down into the very depths of who we are. And we get changed. And we get transformed. And we move, or we should, from one degree of glory to another. Something happens in those moments. There is a fusion of love where his presence changes or transforms us. And uh, God, this is the one, we, we look at the one, just to paint this picture a little bit more, we look at the one who was there in the beginning. The one through whom and in whom everything that was made is made, the Bible tells us, right? So he was there, wisdom that created the world, all of that. He was right there at the very start. But because he incarnated himself as a human being, and as the theologians talk about, humiliated himself and came on to uh, the form of a servant, and onto the cross, and into the grave. Jesus has all has been raised up. The Father could vindicate the kind of love that Jesus showed, raised him out of the grave, placed him at his right hand, far above every principality and power and dominion. And there is a human in heaven. Two, two eyes, a mouth years, I think. And that, like, he's, there's a human, a ma, there's a man in heaven. And when we look upon him, it's not like an alien. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not like some weird kind of alien. It's not like, 
I know that the Bible gets into like imagery about seraphim and cherubim, and they're all about whatever that looks like. I don't know, but what, the one that we look at was like us. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has a face, and the knowledge of God's glory is in that face. And we have an opportunity every morning when we wake up for it to be the first thing that we look into and that we gaze upon and that we become aware of. And, you know, sometimes when I was supposed to be practical about it, when I was young, I tried to, like, imagine what it was like, you know, and you get all kind of intense and think, like, you know, if I, like, squeeze my bum cheeks together a wee bit more, then maybe I can, like, work up what this is, you know? <laughs> but that, you don't have to do that, right? You just imagine. Sometimes what I do is I imagine the things that I find beauty in. That's what the Sabbath is for, just incidentally, just restoring beauty into your life, right? Because you get deformed in this world. You get deformed. But when I just, when I think, so what's the most beautiful thing? In, is there anything more beautiful in the face of your child? Is there, is there anything more beautiful? Is there, any, is there anything more beautiful than a sunset or whatever? Like wherever your place is, we just think, ah, oh, it's oh, took my breath away. And I think, first of all, he created it. Secondly, he's the source of it. And thirdly, he's even more beautiful than all of that. And I just, I just try to receive his beauty, and I try to imagine him and his holiness almost inapproachable in light, like almost like, like this light here, which means I can hardly see you, right? This is shining on my face. It's like I, I can't, I can hardly not look. And then almost through the blinding nature of that light, I can see his eyes, and they just burn love into my heart, and and transformed by his by his image, more and more, and more and uh, and so when when I was praying for you tonight, it felt like I was listening to uh, Elbow when I was out for a run the other night. And you know that great song that they sing, you know, one, one day like this a year. Maybe you don't, but there's this little great line that's, you know, through those curtains wide, yeah? Just in a sense that, you know, the Lord's like, just draw the curtains back. Just, you know, just let the light shine into your heart. Let the light shine into your life individually and as a body. And uh, when, I, when I was kind of praying a bit further, um, I've been just slight tangent for a minute and coming, coming back around. <laughs> I was praying a little bit for where we are planted in Portadown, and and uh, <clears throat> you know we, we really want to see God moving the whole time. But there's a particular couple of areas where, as far as I know, there's never been really um, any significant move of God, any church that's been planted, any gospeling community that's really rooted itself in the soil. And uh, we've been going in the guts of whatever it is, ten months or so, and things are going pretty well. But it was we were prayer walking a couple of weeks ago. I just felt the Lord give me this picture of, um, of uh, uh, like, foundations of a house. And we were down in the founds, and, uh, like, we're down in our hands and, and knees, and we're just, like, pulling stuff out with our hands, pulling, like, the founds out. And I felt like the Lord's just saying to me about where we were, trying to see breakthrough and all of that. I felt like the Lord's saying to me, you, you're still at this stage. You're just digging and this is why our prayers are so important, actually, because you're just digging. You're just... And then <clears throat> I remembered, as I was thinking this through and praying and meditating on it, I, I, I felt uh, reminded of the Sunday school kind of song, and 
based on the passage in the Bible, you know, the foolish man builds his house upon the sand and the wise man builds his house on the rock. And I started to think about how easy it is these days to build a church on the sand. You know, put a good gig on on Sunday. There's a good tea and coffee and, you know, good worship. You know, it's really easy and get your numbers up and tweet your numbers and uh, double tweet them, you know, if you get a few more and make sure you don't tweet them if you get left. You know, all of that kind of thing, you know, and I just thought about how easy it is to build a, a church on the, on the sand and um, and how the, but when the wind and the waves come, you know, the house in the sand falls down and, and how it must grieve the Lord and you know, some of us have maybe, you know, even witnessed and been hurt and tried to get healed through situations and circumstances like that. And I just felt the Lord say, you know, keep digging. Because if we want to leave something behind us, if we want to see a legacy of the lost and the broken faint home, then we need to build on the rock and it's going to take time and we're going to have to contend and we're going to have to pray and we're going to have to groan and we're going to have to weep and we're going to have to call out to God and we're going to have to contend and contend and contend for breakthrough if we want to build a church if we want to see a gospeling community, a family of God, we can, we can do all the other stuff as well, which is important. But if we want to see the church, like the family of God, rooted and established in a community, then we're going to have to dig. And so this was going around in my head. I was thinking about this a bit for us. But when I was praying for you, it came back into my head. And I felt like, just to encourage you, I feel like that's what you've, you've done here. You've wanted to not go after quick wins, but you've wanted to build on the rock. And you wanted to build foundations that are true and sure so that the lost and the broken and people that don't know Jesus from this area, an indigenous, if you want to put it like that, church in Dungannon can take root. And the foundations have been so good, I think, that and, and that um, you know, they've, they've been duplicated in other places, tried to plant somewhere else. That's a good thing, by the way. Churches should plant churches. Right, that's the new that's the New Testament. But as I was kind of thinking this through in terms of encouragement, I just felt and just um, you guys wear this and test this, but I just felt like the Lord saying it was time to dig again, but not necessarily a whole new house. Although it could be that too. And if anybody's feeling the call to church plant, talk to your leaders and then go for it. Right. But what I felt was, what I felt was that maybe God was saying was not so much a new house, but an extension. And I saw like this picture of a conservatory. And I just felt like that, that there was a, an extension to the house that was just going to let more and more light in. Now, when I think of conservatory, I think of my mom and dad's house. A number of years ago, they built um, a conservatory. And um, mom and dad had this argument. It was really funny. Because um, not not that they normally are. I'm sure they do. Just don't show us. But anyway, they, they weren't. They don't really argue that much. But my dad really wanted glass roof in it so he could look at the stars. And my mum thought it was going to be a nightmare to clean, right? So this was going on, and me and my sisters were having some laugh to see because she had probably had the cleaning, right? But we were having a bit of a laugh to think, you know, who's going to win? Anyway, dad, God got his way, and they got a glass roof conservatory, you know, and. Uh, it's quite funny because it became a place when we went down, my sisters and grandkids, when we went down to my mom's, we all usually ended up in this big conservatory. And it was filled with light. Now, we, we couldn't stay there forever, but when we were together in there as a family, things were, things happened, you know. 
just strengthened in your love for one another and you hung out together. And, and then we maybe, you know, once we sort of, more and more grandkids came along, we got slightly, you know, um, frustrated. <laughs> After like, first, first hour is always good fun, isn't it? And then everybody starts to like navigate the other rooms, you know, for a wee break before they come back up, you know, that, that kind of thing. You know? But there was something that happened in that, that conservatory, if you like, that... Um, that was that was powerful, and I, I just had a, had a sense that you know God just wants to um, lead you guys as a church into another degree of His glory, and a part of that is creating some space individually and maybe collectively to build an extension, which does involve some digging as well, in order that more of the light can come in, more of the glory of God wants to come in, and I just feel like he is saying to you guys that, and, and I, I feel like I could, I want to, you know, if I can be as bold to prophesy that tonight, a season, a season of new revelations of the glory of God, a, a, a season of increased light and intensification of the light of Jesus, and you guys living in the light together, because God loves to shed abroad his love. He longs to shed it abroad. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And maybe even tonight, I haven't got loads more to say, a few, few more things, but just maybe tonight as we, you know, think about where this is going and how can we respond individually, you know, God wants to shed his love and his glory abroad in our hearts and in our lives. He loves to do that. He loves to shed it abroad. He loves to flash flood us with his love and with his light and with his glory. He loves us to throw the curtains open wide so that the light can come in. And, and, I, and, and so and I actually feel that, um, I, f- I felt like that there was some of you that in the building of this extension, whatever that might mean as you pray and think about it, is that um, being slightly bold here to say, I think some of you have to step up to that, help do the digging to put that in place. Um, and I think that some of you, God has actually equipped you and prepared you for such a time as this. And he wants to help you build environments and times or whatever as you test this and pray this through, just an extension for for more of his light to come in, into the family, into the body of what the Lord is doing. And for that to happen, there needs to be preparation, need help to dig new founds, need help to contend, to pray for fresh breakthrough, to break into new places. Because God wants us to throw those curtains open wide. And this glory <clears throat> that you will taste and encounter and know more of is more of the goodness and the kindness of God. I, I uh, try to say to our guys in church, and it doesn't always necessarily feel like this on some Sundays. It, you'd love it to be more than what it is. But I try to say to our guys, I try to say to some of our worship leaders, you know, I don't think there is any reason why we can't encounter something new of the Lord every time we gather. There's, like, there might be things that prevent that, but I don't feel like God wants that, <laughs> you know? So my, 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 my sense is that when we come to God, you know, we come into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So when we come thanking, declaring God's goodness, we come with gratefulness and thankfulness, we praise him for who he is, we thank him for what he's done, we lift him up. Then in those moments, we leave space for a 
a fresh revelation of a part of his character. That could be his faithfulness. And we could all be like, oh, God's, God's revealing his faithfulness to us today. And once God reveals that, then you worship him. Do you know what I mean? So he, he kind of reveals part of who he is, and then you go, oh, God, I love you all over again. <laughs> and I, I worship you. So we, 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 we declare in praise and thanksgiving who he is. We're reminded of what he's done. And then he starts to reveal maybe his kindness, maybe his gentleness. Some aspect of his beauty and of his character gets revealed to us. And as it's revealed by the Spirit, another degree of his glory, then we just, the only response is just to fall down before him, isn't it? And worship him, press into that so that we can be changed and transformed by it. And I feel like the Lord is, is, is doing that wants to bring. I just feel like tonight, my encouragement to you is basically, in a bit of a nutshell, is God wants to reveal more of his glory. He wants to reveal more of his character. He doesn't necessarily want you to know more information. He wants you to have more revelation, more revelation of his heart, of his goodness and his glory, and that that would change you. And so I, I want to start to land this a little bit with this scripture here. And um, if you want to flick in your Bibles to Second Peter, because I think this is the, in some ways, if you wanted to say the application of what I've been saying, how this all would work itself out. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. It says Second uh, Peter one verse three. <clears throat> His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own, his own glory and his goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, check this line out. Through them you may participate in the divine nature. You're not called to be a nice person. You know, you know which is good news when you don't feel you're that nice, <laughs> you know, and you've tried your best to be nice and it doesn't really work that much, right? You're not called to be a nice person. You're not called just to, like, engage your willpower, like, to just, you know, a New Year's resolution or something. You're called to participate in the divine nature. You're called to be God-like, to look like God. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort look, to add to your faith. Like, so all this stuff about more and increasing. We're going to add things to your faith. Add to your faith goodness. Add to your goodness knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. And to self-control perseverance. And to perseverance godliness. And to godliness mutual affection. And to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in, there's that word, increasing, increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So, like, who, you, know, you guys are come out here tonight on Sunday night because I'm guessing you want to be here, you want to support what's going on, you want to worship together, and because you don't want to be ineffective and unproductive. <laughs> in your walk with the Lord. You want to be the opposite of that. You want to be fruitful. You want to reveal more of his glory. And the reality is he has given us, verse 3, his divine power. His divine power is here 
to bring that change and transformation. And so we go back to 2 Corinthians 3, 18 and go, when we behold him, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, when we fix our eyes on Jesus who has taken the veil away so that we in this better covenant can now worship and lean into ever-increasing glory, it should result in ever-increasing Christ-likeness. We will change. We will be transformed. And, um, and we will see these characteristics in our lives coming more and more into it. But when we talk about these things, the reason I start talking about the glory of God, because sometimes is you need a fresh vision of what you're supposed to become like. Right? That's why worship is so important. That's why worship is so central, because you become what you worship. You become what you look upon. You become like that. And so as we get to behold Jesus every day, that part should never get boring. <laughs> if it's got boring, just change the discipline a bit. Like I said, oh, the young people in our church and say, you know, they're sort of checking out of church a wee bit, and then they say, like, I'm, I'm just bored of church. I said, well, we'll join the club. I get a bit bored of church too. But, and then I say to them, you can get bored of church, but hardly get bored with Jesus. Hardly get bored with Jesus. Everyone wants a king like Jesus. And when you, when you look upon Jesus, when you look upon him, when you fix your eyes on him, and having time to get really, really practical now, but when you go into like different ways, practices, disciplines, little rhythms, little things that work for you to help you fix your eyes on Jesus, then you start to become like him. And we start to increase. We start to we start to increase, for if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure. And so, like, I've, I've read this verse, um, read this verse the other day, and not, not in a big, like, guilt and shame way. I just said to the Lord, Lord, Lord I'm sorry. I'm, I, just, I just want to repent, Jesus, for, for not possessing those qualities in increasing measure. In fact, some of them think <laughs> I'm worse that than I used to be. But, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm supposed to change. Supposed to change, and not because God's up there saying you must change, just because God's up there saying, Look at me, gaze on me, behold my glory. And as we behold his glory, we are being changed and transformed into his likeness and into his image. Sometimes you need a fresh vision of what you're going to become like or what you're supposed to become like. And so, um, as we build, if that's the way to put it could be just metaphorical, but as we build that extension, as we allow more of the light in, as we find times and seasons to linger and just gaze on the face of Jesus, behold his glory, behold his glory, ever increasing one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And sometimes that will come through suffering. Sometimes that will come through um having to be refined in a fire because God isn't necessarily the God who you wanted him to be for you. And we have to let go of some stuff. And in, in, in my journey, not to get into tonight, in my journey, in, in letting go of the God I constructed, I found that he was actually even more glorious than I thought he was. Uh, but that, that came with a lot of a lot of fire and a lot, a, a lot of dark nights. But, you know, you get to the point where he's even better than you thought he was. 
is even more good because it's one degree of glory to another. It's ever-increasing glory. It's unfolding glory. It's unfolding. And so, so you know, I, I said at our church, make no apologies when I, when I start. Well, next week we'll do vision. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, the same old thing, you know, we're on the edge of something, God's coming, all of that. But, you know, the reality is we kind of always are because God always wants to do something new. So we don't need to make any apology for it. We want to press deeper and further into the heart of God in the year ahead. And so um, I, I, could, I could finish and just with, with not, not, not reading it, but just reminding you of, of the passage in Matthew chapter 17 where um, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Doesn't he? Now, they've been hanging out with Jesus for a while. They obviously are captivated by him, captured by him. But Jesus reckons this is the day to show these lads, or well, directed by the Father, and another degree of glory. And so they go up the mountain. And I'm always struck in this passage by when Jesus is transfigured and they see him. And they're like, oh, wow. And I, I, I felt the Lord rebuke me one day in the car. I was driving, thinking about this passage, and I, f- I felt like, I am um, like Peter. God reveals himself. And then we're like, right, let's build something. Yeah, let's do something. Let's start an event. Let's do something around that, you know. Let's build one because Moses and Elijah are there as well. So let's build build a t- tabernacle for them, t- an altar for them, and one for, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And the father just speaks and said, this is my son. This is my son. Listen to him. And then it tells us that when Jesus came, they fell face down, terrified. When Jesus came, he said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Saying no one. They saw no one except Jesus. And, and so, I, yeah, I suppose that's it, really. Jesus wants, I think, to bring you into the season where you see no one except him. And um, to do that, you have to, like, you have to, like, rewire some of your thinking. Because, um, Moses and Elijah were good. But Peter was getting religious. And um, if there's strongholds in Northern Ireland, which there is, one of them's religion and religious thinking. And the law was good and the prophets were good. But Jesus is the real deal. Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing somebody say recently, and I just thought it was really good, you know, it wasn't like the law was bad, and it wasn't like the prophets weren't good. It was just that they were all pointing to Jesus. Yeah, <clears throat> somebody said that the law was like our ABCs when you go to school. You know, you you learnt the ABCs: don't kill, don't murder. That's not good. Don't steal. Don't do all of those things. You know, don't don't do those things. That's like I'm trying to teach you how to be holy, like you would. And then the prophets are like the grammar. They were like which. You know, I could do it a bit of help with, you know, being from Lurgan, right? And the grammar, Jesus was saying, not just, or the, you know, it, it was like the prophets were telling us, you know, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So it was like, the, you know, you've got your ABCs, but you're getting some things m- mixed up. You know, the, the prophets taught how things go together and how to construct sentences. But the reality is, for those of us who are good at languages, I wasn't, but for any of you who are good at languages, you can learn the vocabulary. And then you can learn the grammar. But the thing that really gets you fluent is getting immersed in the culture, isn't it? You, you go and you live there, and then you get immersed in it, and then you start to sound like a person from there. Yeah? 
So the law was good. Some of your past experiences were good. They taught you the ABCs. You've had some help with your grammar. But if you really want to walk into Christ-likeness, you've got to just immerse yourself in the culture of heaven, which comes in worship, yeah, and comes in beholding the face of Jesus. And as we behold him, and as we immerse ourselves in Jesus, immerse yourself in the Gospels, immerse yourself in who he was and what he has been to us, what he has done for us, we get changed and transformed, and we start to speak in Jesus-type language, which is different than Christians speak most of the time. Yeah, most of the time it's different than what we have Christian speak that we have developed. It's Jesus-like language. Yeah? And that only comes by being immersed in him and contemplating him and beholding him. Yeah? Amen. In a prayer?